Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're going to have a great conversation tonight. The topic is nice guys and masculinity, integrating lover and animal. And our guest tonight is Robert Schwenkler. We're going to bring Robert on in just a minute. But the the notion of of authenticity, I just want to touch on the notion of authenticity. The uh, the the idea that there is a, a version. I don't know if version is the right word, but there's a version or idea of you that is in most alignment with yourself, and um, then there's the notion of being completely out of uh, alignment with yourself or perhaps inauthentic. And there's the there's the white picket fence notion of how we should live. This this idea of um, in the past, it was it was a much more clear cut uh, social stigma. In, in from my perspective, where you you go to school, you get a job, you do your career, and then you retire. And the notion is, if you follow that template, that guideline, then um, you everything will work out for you. You're, you're working in harmony, if you will, with society. Uh, your expectations and society's expectations are kind of in step with each other. But I think it's been really easy to see that that's all been turned on its head um, in the past few decades where people graduate from college with an immense amount of debt and perhaps might not be able to find a, a substantial job to not only support themselves, but to get out of debt and, and get going with their life. And and that notion of authenticity can work on the individual level too. And I suggest that there's a, an ego sense of self um, and the ego um in its when it's wandered out into the weeds might be worried and concerned what everybody else thinks of it and in order for it to be in order for ourselves to be authentic we have to um stay in the favor stay in the approval of others and that helps us feel connected and that helps us feel part of the group and it and uh but then, but then there's the uh, the Lone Rangers, the the Mavericks, if you will. Uh, regardless of the individual, I'm not talking about the individual, but the archetype of Elon Musk really strikes my fancy. He looks up at Mars and says, "Why don't we colonize that planet?" And and he's so far out of the traditional paradigm or traditional storyline or narrative of of how quote things should work unquote, but yet he's taken on a project that nations, that countries won't even touch, and and he's moving towards it one one day at a time, and so. Authenticity. Nobody, nobody outside of you can tell you what you need to do to be authentic to yourself. In, in, in as far as what you actually prefer, what what is your most authentic desire? That comes from within. And uh, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because I think sometimes people can get lost with uh, the notion of authenticity and. Uh, 
And I think it's time we get to the show because I think we're going to have quite the conversation. Again, the topic tonight is nice guys and masculinity, integrating lover and animal. And our guest tonight is Robert Schwinkler. People-pleasing can allow men to become emotional doormats and their passage can mean that conflict stays unresolved and simply builds up over time. This inevitability leads to a breakdown in the emotional and sexual well-being of the relationship. Today, Robert will be speaking about what it takes for nice guys to reclaim their power in confident leadership breaking out of codependent patterns, and reclaim the connection and the liveness in their innate partnership, intimate partnership, and in every other part of their lives. Robert Schwenkler is the founder of the Brotherhood Community, an organization dedicated to the development of integrated male leaders, men who embody their power and sensitivity who are fully thriving in every area of their lives and who collaborate with people of all genders in service of a more beautiful, equitable, and sustainable world. Boy, I like that. Robert also has a private practice where he partners with select clients typically high-achieving women and men who are ready to create richer, more fulfilling, and paradoxically exponential results in their careers, intimate relationships, and lives. Join me in welcoming Robert to the show. Robert, welcome to the show. Les, hi. Great to be here. So you chose the topic of nice guys and masculinity, integrating lover and animal. Do you want to give us an, uh, the idea that motivated that topic? Yeah, well, uh, my mind goes a couple places right off the bat. One is that there's a book by a man named Robert Glover, Bob Glover, called No More Mr. Nice Guy. And that is a, in terms of the personal development world, it's a pretty well-known book. So, you know, it, it's not a term that everybody in the United States is going to know, but it's a fairly well-known term in and of itself. So nice guy, the term nice guy um, was really popularized by him. And that's essentially, uh, you know, the topic that, excited to speak with you about today and dive in and deconstruct it a little bit more. And hopefully there's somebody listening. There's a nice guy out there who's listening, who's going to get something insightful out of this and realize that there actually is a better way to do life. And there's a better way to do relationship where he gets to bring the fullness of, of himself. He doesn't have to hide. He doesn't have to uh, put on, his uh, his nice um, you know facade in order to people please the people around him. Uh, you're opening up this show talking about authenticity. He can bring the full spectrum of his authenticity and actually have that allow him to create better results in his life and allow him to create deeper, more fulfilling relationships as well. And um, there's there's just uh, yeah, a whole rabbit hole we could go down in there, but I want to pause for a moment and just say that basically for the guy listening who um, who is realizing that uh, you know his passivity is actually harming his relationships and his passivity actually isn't getting him what he wants in life, this is going to be a conversation that could be supportive to him. Right. Well, oftentimes I've heard myself, people who are perhaps engaged to be married, um, and they say, well, they make me so happy. They make me so happy. And and that kind of 
uh, for me, it's like uh, nails on the chalkboard, the notion that our happiness has been assigned to somebody else. But a lot of times the the template of society and the notion of the, quote, nice guy, end quote, is, is this um, making each other happy. And, and certainly in the... Uh, um, infatuation of of the first part of a relationship, it can it can feel like it's important to be a nice guy. It's important to behave in a way that brings happiness to the to the other. I mean, how 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 do we get tripped up with this? Well, here's the thing: is that nice there's a whole bunch of layers to what nice actually means in this context. And it's not actually very nice. Uh, and I use the language also people pleaser, and that might be a, a good kind of a, a simple substitution for the word nice guy. If we put the word people pleaser in there, it becomes a little bit more obvious off the bat about why doing relationship this way might not work super well. If you start off relationships being a people pleaser and uh, always foregoing your needs for the needs of, of the person that you're with, and oftentimes it's not even the needs of the person you're with, it's just what, what we make up are their needs, uh, then that just sets the relationship from moment one on a track toward, uh, of, you know, it's based upon inauthenticity in authenticity and it sets the relationship upon a track toward uh, eventual conflict. Um, like, so for, an, and I want to make this a little more concrete. Um, trying to think of a specific example that I might use. I've got a client right now that I'm working with who's had a lot of codependent people pleaser, nice guy patterns in his relationship that invariably would lead to a conflict down the road because what would happen is he wouldn't, uh, one of the things that he would do is he wouldn't take space for himself. On some level, he made up that if he was going to take space for himself, his wife, you know, wouldn't, you know, might be hurt by that, might feel like he was pulling away or something to that effect. Um, so he doesn't take space. He doesn't care for himself in the way that he needs to, which has the, you know, which has the effect of actually having him show up less present with, with his wife in the time that he is spending with her. And uh, any woman listening, I imagine most any woman listening is going to know that a guy who's not present is just one of the most uh, either painful or infuriating or just difficult situations he can be there physically but if he's not there emotionally um things don't work and so this client would he would be there physically but not emotionally and his wife would get pissed at him and then since he's a nice guy and he also avoids conflict which he was avoiding in the first place ostensible conflict by stating his needs he doesn't respond super well to her anger and he just withdraws and he doesn't know how to deal with anger, uh, her anger or his, but he builds up a bunch of resentment inside because she's not being super loving or respectful to her, toward him. And then it ends up, the, the relationship ends up in a state of breakdown. All of that because he was not being honest up front. He was not being authentic with his needs, uh, with the ostensible goal of being nice to her, of not ruffling feathers, of not rocking the boat, but it actually ends up causing a tremendous amount of instability in a relationship when a guy um, tries to people please, basically. And what I want to say oh. is that I'll say one more thing, which is that I mentioned that, um, it's like if he actually sat down to ask his wife, do you want me to spend all my time with you? She would probably say no. She's like, no, I want you to go do things that are good for yourself. I want you to go get filled up. I want you to feel nourished. I want you to be, uh, get your needs met. 
because I care about you and because it feels better to me. But he ends up projecting a whole bunch of stuff onto her and uh, a, a bunch of needs that aren't actually hers. They're just his own projections and ends up um, like wreaking a lot of havoc in the relationship simply by being, you know, quote, nice. Right. Well, the, you know, the, the notion of uh, emotional bypass where we, where we avoid how we feel and, and we try to, we're, it's like we're actively trying to keep an equilibrium, if you will. And, and whenever emotions come up, it feels like the, the cart's tipping over and we have to bring it back to center instead of let the emotions, um, show up and, and be present with them. And, um, Especially if you come from a household or a family dynamic where there's no um, openness to emotions. I mean, there's so many different family dynamics. Some some families live with emotions full open all the time, and it's just a um, perhaps it's the the flip side of that, where it's an emotional shitstorm every day, but. Yeah, the it, it's very common um, in the American male to to suck it up and come on straighten out, dry up those tears, um, and and we're not really um, either shown how to handle emotions or taught or um, emotions can be pretty overwhelming if you don't have any skill set. How do you how do you go about to even start to unravel your emotions if you're in this relationship and you feel a sense of vulnerability with rocking the boat because those two seem to buck each other. Yeah. Yeah, and when you say emotions, the, you know, some of the biggest ones that guys tend to struggle with there's, there's grief or sadness and then also anger. Um, and both of those are deep topics in the context of the conversation around nice guys uh, learning how to reclaim more of their power anger especially is uh, a really deep topic so I'm going to focus on that one a little bit Um, and and before we go into how do you reclaim that emotion I want to talk about why you should I don't want to even say should like why it will make your life and your relationships better to cultivate a more intimate relationship with anger. And it's, um, you know, the exit, the scenario that I gave is one of many that I could tell. And it's based around a guy who's perpetually trying to avoid conflict because he doesn't know how to do anger in himself. He doesn't know how to do anger when it's coming at him from somebody else. And like you mentioned, I've seen this come from, for me, it comes from a family who had no, like no anger. And I've had clients also who are total nice guys, but who've come from situations where there was too much anger. And uh, they end up going to the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas I ended up just doing what I was modeled in my family. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that can happen. And those are two of the most common ones. Um, reasons, uh, you know, I teach a dating course for men as well. And we were literally talking about this just this morning, designing our curriculum around building out how to help these guys tap into some more of their anger and also why it's important to do that, what they get out of it. And, um, my business partner puts it really beautifully when he says that, uh, anger is the emotion that comes up at the crossroads of passion and powerlessness. So what that basically means is that when I feel passionate about something, but I feel powerless to affect change around it, that's where anger comes up. And anger is this driving, motivating force uh, that ignites us to create change in a place that we're passionate about in a place that's important to us. And most 
nice guys don't realize that that's true. They see it as something that can be harmful. They see it as something that can damage relationships. They see it as something that's dangerous when, when the exact opposite is true, when we're in right relationship with anger. Anger is actually a driving, motivating force that, uh, that gives us fire, that gives us a sense of purpose, and that lets us know when something important to us uh, needs to be stood up for. It could be my own boundary got crossed by me even. It could be I didn't uh, let my partner know that I need to take some space today. I crossed my own boundary. It could be she said something to me that hurt me. A boundary was crossed. It could be something that's happening out in the world, a social situation that, that, that isn't right, that I see out there that's not right. Um, and when we turn off our anger, we turn off our access to, um, to potency, to our, our capacity to affect change. And we also turn off access to these primal parts of ourselves that um, are, are really integral to having a really thriving sex life, if we're going to keep talking about it in the context of partnership. Um, and I, I do a lot of work with men. I do a lot of work with women also. I've talked to so many women about this. And I can't speak for all women but I can speak for pretty much every single woman that I've ever spoken to, which is not only as a man who is in conscious relationship with his anger more trustworthy because she knows it's not going to come out sideways down the road. She knows he's going to be honest with her and speak his truth when he needs to. So A, he becomes more trustworthy. And B, there's more of kind of a primal uh, potency to the guy. He has a sense of, of just like primal magnetism that women find really attractive. Most of my work is with straight men uh, in terms of my group programs, but so I'm being a little bit heteronormative here. So if there's anybody listening who doesn't fall into that category, I just want to acknowledge that. And all of this still holds true regardless of your sexual orientation. Um, and yeah, I just want to summarize that by saying what's valuable about reclaiming access to your anger, healthy access to your anger, is uh, you become more alive, you become more potent, you become more honest, you become more trustworthy, you become more sexy, uh, and you become more capable of creating the life and world that you want to create for yourself. So I think all of that is important to put in place before we just dive into how do you do it. It's like, because it's so compelling the, the mirage that anger is simply something that causes damage in relationships. It's such a compelling mirage that I would hope that first I can kind of dispel that myth a little bit before we talk into uh, talk too much about how do we reclaim access to that emotion. Um, I'm curious just what comes up for you hearing all of that less. I'm sure you're having some thoughts over there. Well, sure. The, when anger shows up, it's it's telling us, it's showing us our relationship with ourselves, so to speak, and where we're not um, um, maintaining our boundaries. We're not um, Mm -hmm. honoring ourselves through our actions and choices. You know, the, so on a first date, if you if you throw anger out there in a in a blunt and powerful way, a lot of times it can be a turnoff um, as far as a first squash or first impression, and uh, and so often um, anger is really frowned upon in our society. Um, mm-hmm with uh, notions of road rage or um, um, poor sportsmanship at an event or something, and it's, and it's modeled in a way that um, it can easily be kind of uh, categorized and, and discarded in one fell swoop. And what I like about what you're talking about is 
is not jumping so quickly to uh, stamp the label on it, but just saying, no, no, um, there's value to this. There's um, purpose to this. And that it's important for us to create space for this. So if uh, if a couple has has some history, maybe they're married and they're and they're so far down the road, and and it's kind of gone flat. And then working with you, you bring up the notion of well, we need to create some space. I don't want to put words in your mouth. We need to create mm-hmm. some space for anger to show itself. That can be a little unnerving. Um, mm-hmm. For either side of the relationship, how you know, or a lot, or a lot unnerving. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to scoot too fast past because I like how you're 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 laying down the framework, the the context, if you will, of anger, and I do not want to leave that prematurely. Yeah, um, well, and yeah, let me speak to one more thing that I uh, that I heard in what you were saying that. Um, feels important to me also that I'm glad you mentioned. And then we, I would love to talk about the how we can absolutely get there. Uh, something that you said that really caught my attention that I'm glad you said, cause it's important to acknowledge is the idea of, you know, going on a first date and bringing anger and how that wouldn't be an acceptable, you know, generally wouldn't be super acceptable on a first date. And I want to be clear that what I'm talking about here, when I talk about developing a, a more right or intimate relationship with anger is not going around being angry all the time. It's not going around. If the opposite of a nice guy is an asshole, I'm not talking about that. Right. What we're talking about, you know, what we're talking about here is, um, let me define nice guy in a slightly different way. This is a guy who, uh, who doesn't have a conscious relationship with his anger and what that means is that his anger is going to run the show from behind the scenes. He's going to make passive aggressive moves to get his way instead of being honest because he doesn't know how to get his own needs met by being straightforward. Um, he's, uh, he, he's basically in some form or another, nice guys uh, still have anger. They just don't realize that they have it or don't acknowledge that they have it. And then they go about trying to get their needs met in weird sideways ways, or they blow up unexpectedly after the pressure gets too much for them to handle anymore. So that's not a safe guy. Somebody who blows up unexpectedly or somebody who's manipulating things from behind the scenes, that's not safe. Um, What is safe is a man who has really gotten in full contact with the spectrum of his human experience. Anger is absolutely part of that spectrum and doing that in spaces that are safe. I'm not talking about going and just blowing up at your partner or your wife or, you know, just dumping your resentments on your family members or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about coming together with uh, oftentimes we do this work in group spaces with other men who are there for that purpose. Um, It's a safe space for guys to explore and navigate and, um, start to uncover, you know, shed some of the layers of fear and shame and pain that are weighing them down, that are uh, kind of laid on top of their their anger, and just to become more unburdened, so that when um, you know they're they're just in more active, conscious relationship with their anger. So what that means is that when somebody does cross a boundary or somebody does piss you off or something wrong does happen in the world, there's not this huge backlog of suppressed anger behind it. Instead, you're more of a, the word I like to use is an open channel for it. It can flow through easily. It can flow through at the appropriate amount. If somebody says something that hurts you, you don't blow up at them, but there might be some anger there and you say, Hey, that hurt. Um, you know, you're able to modulate your anger at appropriate level because it's, there's not this huge backlog and all of this pressure. So a safe man is another thing my business partner says. He says a safe man is actually a man who's very dangerous, but who knows how to handle it and knows how to manage it and knows how to wield 
those aspects of himself and he knows how to do it responsibly because there absolutely are moments that it's important to, you know, quote, be dangerous uh, or to, to be angry when something is, um, when something happens that's not okay or not right. So uh, the, the type of relationship with anger we're talking about is not get all angry on your first date or dump your anger on your partner or whatever. It's more of a relaxed, honest, it's, it's I'm being honest in the moment to moment. So the pressure doesn't build up. It's when something really big does happen. I might show my anger, but I'm not doing it in a way where I'm just trying to make them hurt. I'm, I'm showing them my anger, but, uh, but it's just an honest expression of how I feel. It's not saying you did this to me. I need you to hurt also. It's not punitive mm-hmm. anger. It's, it's simply honest anger of like, ow, that fucking hurt. And I feel so fucking angry right now. And, and you know, it's, it's just an honest expression of what's coming through. And that can be scary still for people. That can be really scary. And... Well, sure. Uh, well, and it's a port. It's a portal to deep. Go ahead. Speaking of coming through, I'm hearing thunder outside. So if the power goes out here and I quit talking, don't take it personally. Don't get angry unless I'll, you I'll want just, to. Oh, I'll just don't, take your show over. <laughs> No problem. <laughs> no, it's, keep talking and I'll log back blog, in. But um, blog well, talk radio with Robert Schwinkler. <laughs> <laughs> well, anger. Anger was a decisive, and I mean decisive, um, emotion in my life. It cracked me open like a bug on a windshield. Um, my father was a World War II vet, and when he got mad, you couldn't make yourself small enough. You wanted to become mm-hmm. invisible. Yep. And I'm the last of seven kids, and when I came into the family dynamic and I saw dad get mad and everybody turned into uh, scared shitless, um, mm-hmm. I put some valve in me that says, I don't want to ever bring that look to my mother's face. I will mm-hmm. never show anger. And fast forward yep. decades later, anger's cleaning my clock, but it's not yep. doing it in a way that I'm aware of. It For me, I didn't, I didn't do passive aggressive. I just gave up. In mm. if there was any um, movement towards what might what might get me angry, I would avoid it. So the yep. the, the honey wants to paint the kitchen fluorescent pink, and I would just bite my tongue and not. I would not do anything that might bring a reaction of anger. And it was shut my body down. I had digestive tract problems. I had ulcers. I was gnashing my teeth in my sleep. And fast forward a a decade or two, and when I feel anger now, for me and my psyche, it's like rocket fuel. When I feel anger, it's, it's given me the energy with the message. So the anger is showing me an, uh, an incongruency. And within the message is the energy. Because anger is a very intense um, um, emotional elixir, if you will. Um, but I really like what you were saying that um, healthy anger, you don't ever use it as a flame to scorch somebody else's ass. It's never about them per se. It's the, the, the emotion is showing you the, the incongruency, if you will. Yeah. And, and look, I have relationships in my life where I can be angry. Um, the people around me, because I've done my work around my anger. I have people in my life who've done work around their anger too. And we can get pissed at each other and it's not the end of the freaking world. It's uncomfortable. It's scary, but it's honest also. And we're all able to know that and acknowledge that and mutually uh, hold it. And it brings us closer together. 
So you you talked about um, being basically a, a doormat in your relationship. It sounds like, and I have to imagine that yeah. that at some point was just infuriating to your your wife. Is that accurate? Um, I think she liked me passive. Really? Um, okay. I, I imagine yeah, I, problems though. Well, I. Um, it cra- at age 35, it cracked me open, My uh, and I can't understate this enough. It completely and totally changed my life. And um, But I, well, the dynamic, I think she loved having control of every little thing, and the only mm-hmm. way she could have control is if I had none. Got it, and yeah. I was so busy at work, I'd go into the TV station and crank out eight, you know, crank out a shift and come home wiped out, and I, it was easy for me to to not engage in a lot of the choices. Um, but over time, over over decades, I like now I won't tolerate it at all. It's like mm-hmm. I, this. Uh, I'm I'm very clear to myself about what I um, authentically want. And um, uh, anger has been like an angel to me in in the sense that it it opened my eyes. And it did it in a a roundabout way, and I, I didn't see it coming. But I'm so thankful that I was in such a fucked up household that I kind of set myself up to crack myself open, if that makes sense. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be having these, uh, having this radio show or writing books or yeah. uh, a deep, immense compassion for humanity. None of that would have showed up in my psyche had I not got cracked open by anger. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, you know it, it's it's I appreciate you sharing your story around the the way that your wife actually sounds like. Well, I don't believe that anybody at the core of themselves wants to control another human being. I don't believe that that really like feeds and nourishes our soul, but it might be the only thing we know how to do. So it sounds like that right. worked for her. And I'll say I I have talked to so many women who just get infuriated because they're they're trying to be with a man who's got no balls, basically, who doesn't know how to stand up for himself, who doesn't know how to take the lead in the relationship. And so all of the burden, or or at least so much of the burden, ends up falling on her. And I know so many women who will just tell you how exhausting and how frustrating it is to be with a man like that. And sure. A man who has access to his potency and his vitality and his truth and his honesty and his anger and his fire and his passion um, and can do it where he's still connected to his heart. And, uh, you know, he's able to be empathetic and sensitive and attuned. This is really, this is what I call an integrated man. And this is uh, what pretty much every woman that I know is looking for. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because um, I've been divorced now uh, well over 15 years or whatever, and I got a text the other day from my ex, and she's uh, her boyfriend's daughter's computer broke, and she couldn't find anybody in town that could fix it quick, and so she said, do you mind if we come over and you can fix my boyfriend's daughter's computer? I'm like, sure, come on over. I mean... <laughs> It, it's and the point is I'm not uh, I owned I owned my anger and I I'm not responsible for um, for, for her but um, we've got about uh, 15 minutes left I do want to talk mm-hmm. about the notion of if you if you've never really um, been in an environment where it was okay to be emotionally open and emotionally expressive for so many guys they just have no they have no history of it and they don't 
it can be a very intimidating thing to start yeah. allowing your feelings to come up. Let's let's talk about, especially in the dynamic of a relationship, if you start showing anger and you get a response that, that um, isn't what you expected, it can be very uh, difficult to revisit that because yeah. you, you have a sense that you're breaking the very thing you're trying to help. Yeah, and that's why I'm, I was very specific in my language earlier when I said that this is a conversation ultimately about coming into spaces that are safe to do this kind of exploration and do this inner work. Um, I do private work with clients, and at the Brotherhood Community, we also do a lot of group work with men. And we'll have a room full of men who've come together for the purpose of uh, – cracking themselves open to deeper levels of authenticity in a room full of men, every one of whom is also there for the same purpose. So, you know, you get people together for that shared purpose of expressing and working through, because it's not just anger. I want to say this too. It's not just anger. There's layers of shame. There's layers of fear. There's layers of grief around it that all need to be processed as well always in my experience and having a space that's safe, you know, doing this in your marriage when there's already a bunch of backed up resentment, when there's already a bunch of patterns and, and ruts that you've worn yourselves into when, and that doesn't leave and your partner's not, not a, a trained facilitator or a therapist either, nor should she be that for you. I believe ultimately um, uh, so going to a space where it's safe and where everybody has entered there under the agreement that we're going to do this work with each other. We're going to learn how to reclaim our, our authenticity. We're going to re- learn how to reclaim these parts of ourselves that we've stuffed down for so long that we've trained ourselves out of and been trained out of. Right. And um, and, you know, when a guy gets that it's important to do that work, maybe his marriage is in breakdown, maybe his body is in breakdown, maybe he's, he's just starting to wake up and realizing that there's more to life, uh, then when a guy's ready for that, there's, there's spaces to step into where it's really safe to do this kind of work and learn how to inhabit more of your your full being. Right. Well, the, I know a lot of times guys have this feeling of uh, fix it, that we're the fix it guys. And when, when the, the woman comes and uh, starts sharing her feelings or, or talking about how she feels, uh, we can, we can feel like she's handing us a to-do list as far as, solving her problems for and when you create space um, and it it certainly goes both ways there's so much value in the notion of uh, space without responsibility and I don't mean that in the sense of um, holding the space but like in men's circles that I've I've facilitated we'd have a talking stick Mm -hmm. and as long as you're holding the stick, everybody else needs to just shut up. Mm-hmm. And what really surprised me was people would test the water. You'd pass the stick around the group of men, and the first time the guy would say something, second time around it would it seem um, perhaps not relevant, but he's really testing the water that he couldn't be heard. And I think more importantly, get to the point which might take 17 sentences to to really get to where he he's sharing the core material. Yep. When you hold a space for somebody, it's it's um, to let them fall apart and not um, to, to have the wherewithal to allow that to happen and not try to stop it or not try to, I mean, if somebody's sobbing their head off and 
or or getting really upset, um, if you're not comfortable with your own emotions, you can feel like, well, wait a minute, this is getting out of hand. We need to. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have a threshold. You can't start, you know, physical abuse. It's not like it's an open-ended ticket, but there's a lot of there's a lot of power in being able to fall apart and and fall into the the void or the the clusterfuck of it all and and know that it's not going to come back and bite you and know that yep. you're still safe in that space if that makes sense yeah yeah uh, and you you talked uh, also during your intro about authenticity um i think it was Ben you mentioned at some point during this conversation about masculinity and the it was in this conversation and the ways that we're taught to be stoic and turn off our emotions there's this idea that having feelings is weak and it's it's such a profound irony that that's the, um, you know, that that's true. It's like, because what for me is there's nothing for me that could be more powerful than standing in front of a group of people who are judging the shit out of me for having feelings and just owning it, like owning exactly what's happening inside of me at that exact moment not filtering, being 100% honest, that's masculine. Yes. And that's powerful. It's got a rawness to it. Yeah. And that's a man who knows who he is and who who isn't uh, just falling into groupthink just because what everybody else is doing. And I think it puts, I think it, you you showed up. Um, what am I saying? So you create space and and you you go on into these emotional immersions, if you will, and uh, and there's a change. There's literally a change in you, and that brings new blood. It brings uh, a new persona, if you will, when it comes time to be intimate. If if we're just the walking dead there's no there's yeah. no newness there's no uh, god am i going to use the word born again i mean there's <laughs> there's no um yeah, well you know what i mean because when you go through yeah. these processes you feel different about yourself and and it can it can bring new emotions uh into the intimacy of of the bedroom and and you keep doing this back and forth, and it can be a very passionate um, way to really help each other heal and and transform each other into a more much more authentic expression of each other. Yeah. Yeah, and um, you know, a, a piece of more factual because this stuff can be really hard for somebody to get before they've actually experienced it. I know that there are guys out there who know that there's something more, but they don't know quite what it is. And they're terrified as crap to, to step forward because it's scary to step into this kind of unknown when we've been trained. So we've been conditioned so deeply to, to um, turn our anger off, turn our grief off. And ultimately I think turn our humanity off, but uh, on a neurological level, and I'm not a neuroscientist, an actual brain doctor would probably have a much They'd probably have some corrections to make or some refinements to make. But in essence, um, the, the part of our brain that turns emotions on and off, if we decide to turn one emotion off, it turns them all off. It's, it's like an all or nothing kind of deal. So to the extent that I've turned my anger off, I have also turned off, um, to some extent, uh, all the other emotions in my life. I've dimmed the whole spectrum of, um, of, of color in my life. It, it's like I'm, I go from the possibility of watching a movie in full color to watching it in kind of like semitones. It's, it's not totally black and white, but kind of black and white. And not all the colors are there. And that's what life is like before you choose to step into doing this kind of work. Uh, the, 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 the color, the vibrancy, 
the, the spectrum of life turns back on. And not just of life, but of relationship and sex and passion and purpose and work. All of it turns back on at a level that uh, for myself and pretty much everybody that I've ever worked with never knew was possible beforehand. It's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I like that. It's Well, the, the more, the sense I get is the more you allow yourself to, to feel the, the uh, darker, the shadow sides of yourself, the anger, the sorrow, the anguish, the, the more you allow yourself to go into that, the more you allow yourself to feel joy and ecstatic and and yeah. euphoria and happiness, it's it's like you're increasing the dynamic range of of who you are. And yeah. um, like you said, it, it's a much more uh, vibrant and dynamic and colorful um, way to live. And 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 those attributes nurture you at a at a very deep level so um, i really like what you're saying yeah and again it's just how our brains are wired this isn't some woo-woo kind of stuff it literally shows up in brain scans it's 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 how our different parts of our brains are hooked together and how they work well do you have some uh like uh tips that you could share with the audience as far as um, that would help them uh, engage their emotions, just some pointers? Uh, yeah, it's, it's such a broad question without talking to a specific person. It's hard to give a prescription that, uh, that might be suitable for everybody, but I think for any guy listening, one that would be suitable is go find a men's group go try it out. There's an organization called Mankind Project. They're all over the world. They have men's groups running on a constant basis, and I regularly send guys. I talk to men from around the country and around the world on a regular basis, and I have no problem in sending them to Mankind Project uh, when they're not a fit for my work or our work or they just can't make for whatever reason. Um, go put yourself in a men's group. It's totally available. Uh, almost no matter where you are. There's virtual men's groups with video conferencing these days. There's literally no excuse. You can find one. Uh, there's my my private work, my work with the Brotherhood community, obviously. There are so many different people out there, a lot of them men, but there are women working with men too and creating really beautiful programs and really beautiful groups for men. They're out there. And if a guy actually wants to reclaim more of his life back, it's possible and it's available. It's just a matter of finding the right people. Well, very nice. Well, let's, let's bring the attention to you and your platform. Now you've, uh, you're the founder of the brotherhood community. Um, why don't you talk about that and also talk about, your own modality, your own services. Well, for example, I work with individuals and or couples in person, online. Give us the whole rundown about how the audience can engage your platform. Yeah, well, brotherhoodcommunity.com. All the information about us is there on the website. And if there's a guy listening who resonates with what I have spoken about, then uh, go check it out because we offer stuff that's going to be valuable for you. Our main two offerings are the men's leadership intensive. We run these about three times a year, but during COVID-19 season, uh, we'll see. We had to cancel for this spring. We're tentatively scheduled for October. We'll, we'll see how things shape up as things move forward with COVID-19. But um, this is a four-day, three-night immersive experience for men who want to really uh, crack themselves wide open to their most authentic power and potency and leadership, no matter what part of their life that's in, whether it's in career and money, whether it's in relationship or just overall life, uh, being able to show up super strong, super clear, super authentic, and also with your heart fully online. 
this is a super powerful weekend and I've seen guys walk in just, you were talking a little bit earlier about, um, I forget what words you used exactly, but it's like guys walk in and the lights are kind of out. They're dull. Their, their eyes aren't super sharp. There's not a lot of vibrancy or joy. They don't smile super easily and they walk out different men. Their, their eyes are just bright and shining. They're, responsive they're um and they're just they're, they're alive they look alive and they feel alive and then they step out back into the world through the four week uh, um have basically a, a four-week virtual program that follows it up to help integrate the experience of that weekend into their real lives so it's not just a one-off weekend we really want guys to implement that transformation into their lives that's the men's leadership intensive. We also have an offering for single dudes called authentic dating secrets. This is for guys who want to get better results in their love lives and who have historically uh, really just shamed their sexual desire, shamed their romantic desire, uh, scared to create the kind of connection that they want with women. And this is an 11-week program. It's virtual. We're running a round of it right now. Our next one's probably going to be in October as well. It's for guys who want to get better results in their love lives and do it in a way that really feels good to women also. There's women out there just yearning to meet guys who are able to show up uh, embodying what we call desire without demand. It's just being super honest about what your desires are but not being needy or pushy about it but not hiding that desire either. Women are hungry for men who get that they're a gift to the world, not in a cocky asshole kind of a way, but in a really honest, genuine way that acknowledges like, yes, I bring value to people's lives. And I'm not going to pretend that that's otherwise. I bring value to the lives of the women that I connect with and that I date. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, we, we, teach guys we don't teach guys we help guys embody these really fundamental modes of being that women find really attractive and that uh, less if i had a dollar for every time a woman has told us like will you send your men to us after you're done with them i would be uh, maybe not a rich man but i would i have quite a few <laughs> dollars um, right. so that's what we do in authentic dating secrets all of the information about that's available, brotherhoodcommunity.com. In my private practice, I do a lot of work around relationship and intimacy. It's not the only thing that I do, but it's a lot of what I'm passionate about. I do work with singles, uh, you know, individuals. I do work with couples. And oftentimes the, the type of men and women, and I work with women in my private practice, I've worked with many women, the types of people that I work with are the guy who is a nice guy and who wants to learn to bring more potency and passion and truth to his, uh, to his relationship, to his life. And I work with the women who are, who are kind of maybe a little bit of a toned down version of your ex-wife where they're good at handling and even controlling and taking the lead, but it's exhausting uh, a lot of the women that I work with are great at building businesses, but they're utterly exhausted because they just put all of this masculine energy into it. And they, there's never a sense of flow or ease that comes with it. And in their relationships, they're exhausted because they choose men who don't know how to take the lead and who are too timid to um, make confident decisions in the relationship. And not in a way that, that ignores her needs or her boundaries, but just to give her some moments to relax and just to get to surrender and to be held and be carried for a minute when she's so good at holding and carrying everybody else everywhere else in her life. So work with those kind of people and help them balance their lives out, you know, come into more aliveness, come into more of a sense of ease and more of a sense of partnership and joy in relationship together. Well, very nice. You know, an hour can go by pretty fast. Um, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I very much enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it, Les. 
great to talk to you. We've been talking with Robert Schwenkler, and the topic tonight has been nice guys and masculinity, integrating lover and animal. You know, it's it's always beneficial for you to grow who you are, to hone what you prefer, to get clear about how how um, what nurtures you, what lights your fire, what sparks your passion. And you, the listener, have shown up for yourself by listening to this episode. I want to thank you for showing up for yourself. We're pretty much out of time, so um, I, I want to thank you again for joining us tonight. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.